Well, it's always so good to be able to, uh, to teach. It's, uh, I, I'll, it's just a real blessing throughout the week to be able to, um, to sit in a certain passage and, and ask the Lord what it means, and then ask the Lord what it means for us. So I hope this morning as we, uh, as we go through this, this passage in John 3, if I can get this microphone in my back pocket, uh, that it'll teach us that. What, what does the text mean, and what is God teaching us? So if you want to, Go ahead and, uh, and open up to John chapter 3, and you can stand. And we're going to read the first 16 verses, one of which I, I hope you'll, you'll find very familiar. And hopefully, in context, it'll just be rich and beautiful to us as we see what the, the Word of God is doing. So, this is John chapter 3, 1 through 16, says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And God, as we walk through these verses this morning, I pray that you would just highlight that in our hearts, illuminate that in our minds and our spirits, that we, on our own, are sinful and we need a Savior. And thank you, God, that you sent your Son that we could receive that. So would you be with us, God? Would you open up our hearts and minds to this text and help us to hear everything that we need to hear this morning? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I don't know if you remember being younger uh, and maybe you were telling your parents about a story and maybe a fun anecdote that you uh, that had happened to you maybe during school or something like that, something funny that, that you wanted to share with your parents. Uh, and, and that may have turned into a lecture 
from your parents as to why you shouldn't have been doing the thing that you're actually telling them about? Does that sound like something that you've experienced? Yeah, I can recall a few, a few moments in my life where maybe I shouldn't have been hanging on the side of that car while it was driving. Maybe that's why I fell off of it. Uh, I can even think about just now being on kind of the other side of, uh, of parenting and, and having some little ones, and we're just kind of now getting to that stage where they, they want to tell us stories about some of the things that have happened to them, which have, for me, have, have caused me to say, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be doing those things. Maybe, maybe that story isn't something that you should be telling me. In fact, it, it's actually going to lead to a, a discussion about um, rule following. So uh, when I think of that, and, and I think of how Nicodemus goes to Jesus to talk to him, I think about how maybe that's what Nicodemus was feeling. He goes to Jesus, he wants to talk to him about these things, but what he gets in return is probably way more than he expected, probably way more than what he bargained for. So I hope as we, as we walk through this, we'll see um, that what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus, he is saying not only to him, but to us as well. Uh, but before we get into the, the, to the text, you know, we're in John chapter 3, so there's two whole chapters that happened before this. So very briefly, I'd like for us just to kind of to get our minds wrapped around what has already happened. So in the first few verses of the book of John, uh, the author, John, is, is describing Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So when, he's, when John is talking about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. Um, so imagine this, as we just start reading the book of John, we hear about this figure, the Word. And what we're saying, what John is saying, is that Jesus was right there with God in the beginning during creation. He's a co-creator of the whole universe. So we move on to the uh, into chapter 2 in, 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 of, of the book of John, and, and we see Jesus' first miracles. Uh, his first miracle is, is at, a, at a wedding feast where he's with his, his friends, he's with his disciples and his family, and they're uh, taking part in this wedding banquet, and the unthinkable happens. They've run out of wine. So Jesus' mother talks to Jesus and says, hey, you should probably do something about this. So what does Jesus do? He obeys his mom, like we should all. Uh, and and he, he goes to the, to, the, to the banquet leaders, those, those who are in charge of the festival and in charge of the party. He says, I want you to fill uh, these containers. I want you to fill them full of water. And what happens? He turns the water into wine. So just in these first two chapters, we've got John telling us that Jesus is just not this ordinary man, uh, but he was with God in the beginning. He's a co-creator. And then in chapter 2, we actually see his authority over creation as he turns this water into wine. And then later in chapter 2, uh, Jesus goes to the temple, and this is the famous scene where he flips the tables into the temple, and, um, where there was, uh, there was sin rampant in the temple as people were trying to make a profit off of worship. Uh, so Jesus puts a stop to it in this, this fantastic event where he um, he unleashes his righteous fury, right? Uh, and he puts a stop to what was happening there. And, and he, he uses this phrase that's really, really remarkable. When he talks about the temple, he calls it his father's house. So just in these first few verses, we were starting to, to gather all this information, to gather all this data about who Jesus is. He's with God in the beginning. He's a co-creator. 
He has authority over creation to be able to turn this water into wine, not just regular wine, but really good wine. And then he calls the temple his father's house. So with all that, we get into chapter 3. But before we get into chapter 3, we've got these last two verses of chapter 2 that say this. But Jesus, on his part, did not trust, entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he knew himself, for he himself knew what was in man. So we see who Jesus is, and then we see who man is. So really today, we've, we've got two major points, and we're going to see some things within those. But our first one is that we have a problem. Our problem, our problem is that Jesus, Jesus shows us that sin is our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is sin. We see that in these last few verses in chapter 2 before we get into chapter 3, and we're going to see it on and on as Jesus starts to show us who we are without him. So as we begin in John chapter 3, we meet a new character. This guy name is Nicodemus, and it, how, how, does, how does John describe him? Well, he's a Pharisee. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what's a Pharisee? And it gives us a little bit of, of, an, uh, of an idea. It's a ruler of the Jews. Um, but here's, here's an actual definition. It's, the Pharisees is a numerous and powerful sect of the Jews, distinguished for their ceremonial observances and apparent sanctity of life, and for being rigid interpreters of the Mosaic law, but who frequently violated its spirit by their traditional interpretations and precepts, to which they ascribed nearly an equal authority with the Old Testament scriptures. So what we have here is a group of people, uh, uh, you know, a relatively large group of people who are religious leaders, and they have spent their entire lives and careers mulling over the Mosaic Law. They know it. They value it. But they value it to a certain extent that they've really missed the heart of it. And they've missed the loving God that's given it to them. In fact, what they've done is they've decided to really pay attention to the laws and less about the God who's given it to them. They knew the Bible really well, however, they chose to pay more attention to obeying the do's and don'ts more than obeying the God who loved them enough to give it to them in the first place. So this is the kind of guy we have in, in Nicodemus, uh, and this is the kind of people that he would have been connected with. So uh, what does Nicodemus do? Well, he wants to talk to Jesus. He wants to talk to him. He, maybe he's, he's heard uh, about some of the things that are happening. Maybe he's heard about some of the things that, that, that he's been doing, and he wants to talk to him. So just in these first few verses, verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus by night. He came to him by night. So we have to ask ourselves again, why by night? Why is John uh, so specific in, in, in the nature in which that Nicodemus goes to talk to Jesus? And I think it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I don't think that most of the Pharisees were very fond of Jesus. I think they, they may have had an issue with some of the things that he, re, he was doing. Uh, so for Nicodemus to be curious, maybe it would have been better for him to go at night. Maybe less people would see him going to him. Uh, so he goes when, when, when most people are inside, uh, and he goes to see Jesus at night. I, I think it might be a, for another reason, too. John, being such a descriptive writer, uh, as he connects verse, the first few verses of his book with creation, um, I think darkness is another 
thing that, that brings us back to creation. Before God separates the day and the night, it was just dark, right? The darkness and, and everything was, was void and there was no form to the world. And I think what John is doing is describing Nicodemus here as in spiritual darkness. And what he needs is the co-creator, Jesus, to shine some light in him. Uh, so he, Nicodemus goes to Jesus. He goes to him at night uh, to signify the turmoil that's in his heart that he may or may not even know about. And he needs Jesus to bring light and order into his life. So the first thing we see is that Jesus shows us that our greatest problem is sin. And what we're going to see here in these next few verses is that sin prevents us from being able to see Jesus for who he is. And we're going to see that very specifically in Nicodemus. How? Because of the way that he greets Jesus And this is just in the second half of verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus calls Jesus a teacher. Now, is Jesus a teacher? Well, yeah. But he's so much more than just a teacher. And we know that. And we've seen the first two chapters of John. Or we've seen what Jesus is capable of. He's way more than a teacher. But what we see here is Nicodemus seems to be talk. He thinks he's talking to an equal. He's a teacher. He's a teacher of the law. And he sees Jesus as a teacher of the law. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So Nicodemus gets it half right. He is a teacher. He has come from God. But that's the other half that's equally as important, right? That he has not come from God, but he is God. That's what we read in John 1. Jesus was God. So Nicodemus spends his whole life reading these Old Testament scriptures, yet he's missed the one in which all of these scriptures are pointing towards. He's missed the one who was with God and was creating with God in the beginning, and it Reminds me of Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So this is us. This is us as we come to Jesus without the work of the Spirit in our lives. We, like Nicodemus, we are prevented from being able to see Jesus for who he is. Nicodemus thinks he's a teacher. And A.W. Tozer has this really great quote, and this is what it says, the most important thing about us is what we believe about God. The most important thing about us is what we believe about God. And the same is true for Nicodemus in this situation, and the same is true for us. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And for Nicodemus, if he doesn't see Jesus as God, then he has a very, very deep issue. And the same is true for us. We can't see Jesus as just good, as just a good teacher. We can't see him as just a prophet or as a way to salvation. But Jesus must be God. And if we believe this, it changes the way that we live. And without this, Nicodemus is going to be left in darkness. And without that realization for us, we too will remain in our sin, remain in darkness. So this is our problem. This is our problem, is that our biggest problem, our deepest need, is for us to do something with this sin in our lives. If 
For without it, we can't see Jesus for who he truly is. Thankfully, God gives us a solution. And Jesus is going to tell him about this solution in the next few verses. God's solution, the first point of God's solution, is that Jesus calls sinners to be born again. And he says that just in these next few verses. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What in the world? Born again? That just sounds like nonsense. It does to me as I read this, but I wonder how Nicodemus felt. We get a little bit of his response there in verse 4 where he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So what we see, like a lot of us sometimes, we're hearing, but we're not understanding. Nicodemus hears Jesus, but he doesn't understand. He calls Nicodemus to be born again. So what this tells us is that Jesus is showing us that there is a specific way to enter into the kingdom of God. So see, see there that born again and the kingdom of God are connected. Nicodemus doesn't go into the conversation asking a question. He just says, we know that you're of God. And, Nick, and Jesus answers him as if he's answering a question, but he didn't. He starts to talk about the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is doing is, what he's doing is he's seeing Nicodemus' greatest need. He knows that he needs to know about the kingdom of God and how to access it. And he says, in order to do so, you must be born again. There's a specific way that we can enter God's kingdom. He hears, but he doesn't understand. So what does Jesus do? He explains it further. He explains the same thing, but a little bit more information. And we, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the, firstly, God calls, Jesus calls sinners to be born again. Second, Jesus calls sinners to be born of Spirit. Jesus calls sinners to be born of spirit. And really, these are, are the same thing, but just with more information. So what does it mean? What is Jesus saying to Nicodemus when he's asking him or telling him he needs to be born of water and be born of spirit? Well, we have to ask ourselves, uh, what was water mainly used for? And especially in the sacrificial system, it was used to cleanse. It was used to clean. So after all these sacrifices were made, uh, the dirt and the blood and the muck would be all over the priest, and they would have to wash in order for them to be able to do the things that they were called to do in the tabernacle, in the temple. So they would clean. And the same was true for regular people. Before they eat, we do the same thing. We wash before we eat. So this is the picture of what we're supposed to be doing. God's, Jesus is saying to us, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be cleansed. And not only that, but you need a new spirit. And verse 6 highlights this even further and says this, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. 
If, you, if anybody knows my dad, some of you may have met him. He's been here a couple times. In fact, I think they're going to be here next Sunday. Um, if you were to spend any amount of time with me and my dad, what you would notice is that we're a lot alike. We have a similar sense of humor. Uh, we think similarly about certain things. Um, certain things frustrate us. Maybe even in our sin, we're, we're, <laughs> we're similar. Uh, we, we've got a lot of patience up until a certain point, and then we kind of we lose our patience. But, um, so I'm a lot like my dad. I'm a product of my dad. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And you would probably say the same thing about your family. You're a product of your family. Maybe you're not exactly like your family, and that might be a good thing. Uh, but we are a product of flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So sin will continue to give birth to sin. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in just a few verses in in John chapter 4, here we've got Jesus talking to a religious leader. And in chapter 4, Jesus is going to be talking to an unnamed Samaritan woman. And in these verses, Jesus says this to her, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we have a problem. And our problem is that we will only produce what is in us. And what is in us is only hostility and only sin. Therefore, we need a new spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, you need a new spirit. And in verse 9, we see Nicodemus' response. He says, how can these things be? How can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He goes on to say, I, I can tell you about earthly things, but you're not going to believe me. And if you're not going to believe me about earthly things, then how will you believe me about heavenly things? And then we get these beautiful verses. In verse 12, we start to see it. Uh, If I told you of earthly things, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus still does not understand what Jesus is saying. And can you blame him? He's in spiritual darkness. We don't understand the things of God. So what does Jesus do? Well, he uses two Old Testament references that he, a Pharisee, would be bound to know. And he uses these two things to tell him what he's talking about. How can you be born of the Spirit? How can you replace your spirit of flesh with God's Spirit? And so he uses these two Old Testament references. The first one is in Daniel 7. Daniel has a vision of this great beast being destroyed. And then the Son of Man character comes about, and and look what's written, and this is in verse 13. And behold, 
With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The son of man character. What Jesus is doing is he's referencing this story, this, this prophecy that Nicodemus would know, and he's saying, I am this son of man. And what is this son of man going to bring about? A kingdom. An everlasting kingdom. Surely Nicodemus is connecting these dots, and surely he would want to be a part of this kingdom. But if he wants to be, Jesus has already told him, you've got to be born again to see it. You've got to be born of water and spirit to enter it. So the question is, how? How can he be born of water and spirit? And the second passage that Jesus alludes to, which is Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, is going to show us this. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. We read this. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The Lord then sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So we've got this passage uh, about the history of Israel. They're in the wilderness. They, they're going from one place to another. And instead of going... The, the quickest place would be going a straight line. They have to go around the land of Edom, and in doing so, they start to grumble. And notice what they say. Uh, you're going you're gonna to let us in this, in this wilderness to die. There's no food. There's no water. But the food that we do have is worthless. So they obviously do have food. They just don't like it. So they grumble. And in their sin, uh, God sends fiery serpents, poisonous snakes among them, and some of them are bitten, and some of them die because of their sin. So what, is, what do the people do? They're remorseful. They've realized that they've sinned against God, and they've sinned against Moses. So they ask Moses, can you do something about it? Moses goes to God. He prays to God, and God tells Moses, hey, I want you to make a bronze serpent. Make something, make a picture of what they're actually being bit by. Put that on a stick. Put it in the middle of the camp so that if they look at it, they'll be healed. Now, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, we know that Jesus wants us to know who he is, right? He's God. We see that in John 1. And we need to have our flesh changed to spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we have to look at the snake. 
just as the Israelites looked upon that pole and saw the thing that was killing them, uh, they could be forgiven. And so there's going to come a time, Jesus says, where he, the Son of Man, will be lifted up on a snake, on a cross, like a stick. And Jesus is asking us to look him on the cross and be healed. So what he's telling Nicodemus is, hey, look, we know the history of Israel. You remember this story. And you remember what saved the people when they repented. What I'm telling you is that there's going to come a day very soon when the Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up on a cross. And the way to life would be to look at me on the cross, see your sin, repent, and be healed. When we look at Jesus on the cross and we know that it is God and human and that he died, that we can have access to his kingdom, that's when we can have our flesh changed to spirit. We can be a part of his kingdom forever. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with this? For, uh, for unbelievers and for believers, for, for the non-believer, we, we, we say that, remember the first point, our biggest problem is sin. We have a major issue. Our biggest problem is our sin. And the only solution to that problem uh, is Jesus and him crucified. It's not earthly gains. It's not that next promotion that we're waiting for that's going to bring fulfillment to our lives. It's not a, um, a relational strain that's going to be remedied. It's not conflict that's going to turn into peace. The only thing that's going to save us is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God in his mercy and his love has made a solution for our problem. And all we have to do is look at Jesus on the cross. And he'll give us a new spirit. So for the believer, what, what, what do we do? This, uh, this sounds like a passage in a sermon uh, for non-believers. Uh, but not, not only. We must remember what we've been saved from. Because we too were just like the Israelites in the wilderness who grumble and moan, who were unable to see the gifts of God in their darkness, in our sin. We have to be given a new spirit. We had that same problem that Nicodemus had, that problem of sin. And by God's grace, he has allowed us to have a new spirit in exchange for that old flesh. We have been saved from much. May we never go moments without remembering that. And may our life consistently look like a person who has a new spirit. So this text is not just for the unbeliever, but it's for us to remember what we've been saved out of and what we've been saved to. We've been given a new spirit. We've been given access to God's kingdom. And we're a part of it, spreading it across the land. It's our mission statement, right? To make disciples of all nations for the glory of God and for the good of, of all people. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. In a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Well, this is what makes John 3.16 so special. That God so loved the world that he gave his life so that we could have this new spirit. We could have this new flesh that God would remove our heart of flesh and give us uh, our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. For God so loved the world. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to think about this morning. I was once in spiritual darkness and disorder just like Nicodemus. A lot of us were. We never find out if Nicodemus came to know Jesus as king. It doesn't really tell us. Uh, but that doesn't have to be our story this morning. Uh, for those of us who are participants in this kingdom, uh, we understand what we've been saved out of and to. We've been given a new, a new spirit. We've been given uh, a heart of flesh. We understand and are convicted by our sin, and we can repent and trust in Jesus. Now, if that's you this morning, and, and that's never been the case for you, you don't have to be like Nicodemus and not have an ending to your story. You can trust in Jesus this morning. So uh, I'm going to invite um, the worship team back on stage, and we're going to sing a song. And there are um, elders and leaders here that would love to talk to you. So if you are somebody who does not, has not placed their trust in Jesus, and you're in spiritual darkness just like Nicodemus is, please come talk to us. And we've said this a lot in the last few weeks, but the people that you're sitting next to are fully equipped to do the very same thing. So our prayer is that this word that Jesus has spoken to Nicodemus uh, would affect you, would call you to repentance. And if you already have, then it would remind you of what you've been saved from, and it would lead you to worship. So let's pray, and we'll sing together. God, thank you for your word and how it calls us out of darkness and into light. God, that only happens through Jesus' obedience on the cross. So, Father, as we sing, would you remind us of what we've been saved from? And would it lead us to worship? whether that be loud singing or introspective thought, confessing sin or praising you, God, I just ask that you would allow us to worship you for what you've done. Would you be with us as we sing? It's in Jesus' name.